Good morning, everyone. You guys can get your Bibles out. We'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 23, so you can begin to turn there. We'll also be in the book of Psalms as we go along, so you can kind of have your finger there as well. Psalm 54, actually, specifically. And uh, for those of you who are new, you have an outline in your packet that you got when you came in, so you can take notes and follow along because there will be a test. <laughs> that test will hit you fast and furious. Today is about the battle, the fight that we are in spiritually speaking in our lives, sometimes physically, but uh, spiritually for sure all the time, that we are in a constant battle. It was amazing weekend. We had the kind of contrast between, not need prayer, uh, between, uh, this is supposed to be a picture of somebody getting baptized uh, right now. Anyway, imagine this picture of this person getting baptized right here on the screen. Um, and, and it was amazing to be there to watch all of these people make this incredible you know, threshold of faith and get baptized. And, that, and yet, I also lived, as you did, in a week of murder. I lived in a world at war. I lived in a country where some racist 22-year-old went hours from his home with a, a you know, a, a automatic weapon and cased a Walmart and then made a decision to go inside and murder 22 people ages 2 to 82. And why is it that there is all of this kind of craziness in our world? Why is that? Well, certainly it was a 22-year-old kid who made a decision to get a weapon and go murder people. I don't know all the story of his family of origins, but he's, he certainly is responsible. But there's something that is behind it, something that is, that is behind what he's doing and what all the battles that we face are. There's something behind the battles that everybody, all those 44 people were engaged in a spiritual battle all week long because they have an enemy of their soul that did not want them to get baptized. That same enemy was doing extraordinary things in your life this morning to get you not to be here. How many of you have little kids? Raise your hands. You particularly. <laughs> Why? Because he doesn't want you here. He, he does not want you here. Hey, guys in the tech booth, uh, throw up Ephesians 6.12. There we go. For, listen to this. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, okay? For our struggle is not against what? Yeah, you might put the word merely even. Our, our struggle is not against our bosses, our spouses, our, our person we're dating, our roommate, uh, it's, it's not merely against your children, your adult children that are going crazy, whatever. It's not merely that. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers. And now Paul, he puts in relief, if you will, the authoritative structure of the demonic realm. That's just what this verse is. These words underneath English, it's Greek language, these words talk about rank. Like those of you who are in the military or first responder world or whatever, you're very familiar with rank. So it's not a, it, but so Paul is applying the same ideas from a Roman military context to the demonic world. So he says that there are rulers and authorities and powers. And notice how he describes the world. This, what kind of world? Dark world. This dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil aligned against us in the heavenlies. This is life. This is the way it is in our lives. It's always this way. 
And yet again, we have this conflict, this, this reality of the clashing of kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light, the ki kingdom, kingdom of evil versus the kingdom of good, the kingdom of God. It's all a conflict, and this is what this whole series is about. And how do I fight these battles everywhere I turn? Now, I want you to think about your life right now. I want you to define right now in your mind, you don't have to say it out loud. You, if you're taking notes, you might write it on the outline, but if your battle is with your spouse and she or he is sitting next to you, don't write their name, okay? I, and if they're a kid, if, if you have a kid next to you, a, a student or something, don't write their name, okay? Just draw a picture or something. But I want you to get in your mind right now what your battle is. What is your battle? It could be loneliness, uh, it could be your own uh, obstinance, it could be a besetting sin in your life, it could be some, you know, uh, worry issue, some anxiety, it could be anything, but I want you to get it clearly in your head, because listen to me, there is no way there isn't a battle going on. There's no way. If you don't think there's a battle going on, you're, you're either, and I say this delicately, but you're either unaware, uh, and I would encourage you to be more aware, self-awareness is one of the keys to your spiritual journey, and if you're in any kind of work situation, it's key to your, uh, your career path. Uh, self-awareness, this may be like, if, if this is the level of your self-awareness, then you definitely have a lid over your head. You haven't gotten a raise in a long time, you haven't gotten a promotion, and it, it is likely that you, it's because you have this leader lid that's self-imposed. This, by the way, what's called self-inflicted wounds. These are self-inflicted wounds. So self-awareness is absolutely crucial to everyone around you. So what's your battle? Name it, write it down, get it in your mind, especially as we move forward through the weekend and see what the scripture says to us, okay? And this much is for sure. The darker the night, the more necessary the light. The darker the night, and you and I live in a world that depends on the day, <laughs> kind of depends on the moment by moment, the darkness. In that Walmart, in a moment, life changed for 22 people, but the thousands of people of collateral damage. The ripple effect that will go down through generations. Imagine you work at that Walmart. I don't know, I haven't followed the story. Is the store reopened? Anybody know in the room? I don't know. This happened in the McDonald's in the South Bay many, many years ago. I'm old enough, been here long enough to remember that day. They tore that McDonald's down. They moved it. So the battle, the darker the the day, the darker the world, the more important your light. Because you make a choice every day to bring light into dark places. And it's that power. Think of the Apostle Paul. Only the light of Jesus could turn a murdering Pharisee into a missionary of grace. Only the light of Jesus could take a legalistic, self-righteous Pharisee who's on a mission to kill Christians into a missionary of grace who changed the world. But this is you. Our vision statement is to develop you to be a Christ-centered leader who changes their world. And then you become a person who connects people with God through authentic relationships to serve communities. You become this person. David, in our story in 1 Samuel, go there with me, David is learning these lessons. He's a young leader. 
God's anointed him to be the king, but there's a 15 to 18 year period before he becomes the king. Why does it take 15 to 18 years for David to become the king? Well, a lot of it is David's life. God's got to develop him as a leader. He needs to learn who he is and what he's living for, just like us, just like us. So let's look at the story. The story, I actually want to start in chapter 22, verse uh, 20. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I just, I just want to get you into the inside of the story. In chapter 22, to what's become famously known as the genocide, the genocide of Nob. Nob is a city where the priests of Israel live. So the high priest is there. His family is there. Saul, who's the reigning king of Israel, loses his mind spiritually over a protracted period of time and commits genocide against the entire priestly tribe in Nob. We're on the heels of that genocide. This has just happened, kind of like Walmart, okay? Kind of like that, right? So he, he, kills, he kills everybody. He kills not only the priests, he kills their wives, he kills their children. He kills everybody in Nob. One man escapes. Look at your Bible, look at verse 20. It says, but Abiathar, we've been introduced to him before, if you remember. But Abiathar, a son of Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, escaped and fled to join David. So he's the heir the, you know, the, in the family line of the high priest and becomes that ultimately with David. All right? He escapes. He told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And then David said, and part of why that happens is because some of the priests of the Lord aligned with David, which from Saul's worldview became traitorous. And so look what David says. Then David said to Abiathar, that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, who killed everybody, when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul and then underline this in your Bibles. I am responsible for the death of your father's whole family. David sees his culpability and responsibility. Now, he's not, he knows Saul killed them. It's just that David feels the weight of this, this decision. I'm responsible for the death of your father's whole family. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who is seeking your life, Saul, is seeking mine also. You will be safe with me. So he makes a declaration of faith to uh, uh, Abiathar, which is super important in your life, in the battles of your lives. The Lord wants you to become a person of faith in the battles so that you can make statements and declarations of faith for yourself and for the Abiathars of your life. Part of what he's doing in you. Why are you here? Some of you guys are here because of uh, kids' dedication, right? That's you guys? Are you the gramps and grandparents? That's awesome. What's your grandpa name? Papa, that's awesome. Mine's Gramps. But, but part, part of why you're here is to learn how to become like David because you're surrounded by Abiathars. We all are. Like this week at uh, student camp, they're going to learn all about this. 70 kids this week are going to have their whole lives changed. So it's amazing, right? Anyway, then now picking it up at 23.1. When David was told... Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are looting the threshing floors, so they're stealing the crops. And then underline this. David inquired of the Lord. 
David inquired, you're going to see this over and over again. David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? Now hang on just a second. Look at the screen. This is a, as good a map as I could get to show you something. In the mustard kind of middle area is, is the area that we're focusing a lot on. But Adulam last week and Keilah are right here. And this is the land of the tribe of Judah where David's tribe is. So David's tribe is this tribe. Keilah is right next to Philistia. The Philistines are raiding the border towns, killing people and stealing everything. So David is in the mix. He's being chased by Saul. He is in Judah, but not in Keilah. Keilah's more dangerous. But he feels like, I must go and help them because they're my tribe. Okay, so you got to kind of get inside of the psychological angst of the story. You got to kind of enter into what's going on in David's mind. What, what's, what is he doing? But he inquires of the Lord. And this becomes a major theme in this whole section of scripture. And David is known, and he gets known by his men as a man who inquires of the Lord. Like when David's in crisis, this is, this is a point of growth in him. He's learning how to do this. And, and he's, he's learning how to pause and inquire of the Lord as crisis comes upon him, which begs the question. Uh, let me ask it this way. Uh, if you are a Christ follower, raise your hand. Okay, not everybody is, so that's cool. You can put them down. Do the people in your world know that you are a person who inquires of the Lord? Yes. I was like five. <laughs> God's will for your life is that the people you work with, the people on your street, the people where you play, they know that you pray. That is the will of God. God wants you to stop being like a, like a secret agent Christian, like James Bond. No one even knows you, like a SEAL team. We have a bunch of SEALs in the church. He wants you to go from kind of that world to like a frontline Marine. You know, somebody who's like, like marching into the enemy. I mean, you do it clandestinely as a, as a seal, I get it. I'm just saying, blow it up into your world. Like God wants you to, he wants you to be known as this person, a person who inquires of the Lord. And you know how you're gonna tell? Here's how you're gonna tell when people in your world know this about you. They're going to, when they are in their battle, they know you're a person who prays. And guess what they're gonna do? They're gonna come to you. They're going to come to you. They're going to find you at work. They're going to find you wherever. Now, th this is tricky now. If you, are, if you are a kind person who inquires of the Lord, then they will come to you. If you are an unkind or like, let's say, just a jerk Christian, let me just do it. Let me just say it. You're one of them. They're not going to come to you. They're not, they, are no, they do not see you as safe. They see you as unkind. They see you as a jerk, somebody who's insensitive. Somebody who, if they came to you and shared their crisis with you, you would, they think, now you may not be this way. It's just that you're sending off this vibe. You're sending off this vibe that says, you know, like if, if somebody comes to me and confesses their brokenness, their sin, their crisis, whatever, they feel that you're going to judge them. So you got to scale that. I can't do it for you. You just got to do it. You got to, you know, you got to deal. Man, did I really come to church this morning? Yes, you did. <laughs> so let's go on in the story. Inquire of the Lord. 
The Lord answered him, yep, go attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men, his own men now, they say to him, here in Judah we're scared spitless. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the Philistines? And again, remember, because it's a border town, so they're putting themselves in danger. So what does David do? Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, go down to Keilah, for I'm going to give the Philistines into your hand. Now, that's not the whole story. God just gave his marching orders as much as he wanted, okay? So you got to be careful of that. We'll talk about it. <laughs> so, so, um, so I'll give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines, carried off their livestock, inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines, and saved the people of Keilah. Now Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, had brought the ephod down with him when he fled to David at Keilah. Now let me explain that to some of you who are new to Scripture. So the ephod in the priest world was like this breastplate with the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of, of uh, Israel on it. They were broken up into 12 tribes, the Israelites. So there's a tribe like called Judah, which is where David's from, right? And Jesus, Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. That's why he's called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Anyway, so inside of the ephod in the high priest world is what's called the Urim and the Thummim. Uh, it's spelled U-R-I-M and T-H-U-M-M-I-M. -M. You can Google that later. It'll be a lot of fun for you. Trust me. Uh, and it was a way that in the ancient world they would determine the will of God. Yes or no question. Should I go down and f uh, fight the Philistines in Keilah? Yes. I sometimes wish I could be like that where I just get to roll the dice and go, you know, whatever. Uh, imagine how simple that would make dating. No, Angela, should I date Eddie, God? Roll the dice. Yes, perfect. <laughs> It'd be such a simple world, but we don't do that anymore. Uh, we, in fact, the last example of that, casting of lots to determine the will of God, does anybody in the room know where it is? Last example. Not the police, it's in the New Testament. Yeah, Matthias, it's in Acts chapter one. That's the last uh, event of discerning the will of God with the, the casting of lots. Now we are people of the Spirit, Acts chapter 2, the Spirit, you know, Pentecost happens. Spirit of God falls, now we are people of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, walking in step with the Spirit, all the spiritual realities of a New Testament world. It's oftentimes a little bit more complicated, but, and this is, this is where it comes down to. Like, you have to be Spirit-led to allow God to pick your battles. You and I fight battles we shouldn't be fighting all the time. Allowing God to pick our battles. I'm talking about parenting right now. Okay? I'm talking about dating life. I'm talking about adult children, whatever. You have to be a person who inquires of the Lord. You have to be like David. Be, this is why this story's in here. It's a contrast of he and Saul. And I don't have to show up to every battle. Thank you, Jesus. Like some of you, you die on every stinking hill in your life. Every hill is a battle. And you take it up. Because you're a godly person. <laughs> and it's all twisted up in you. It's all twisted up in you. This is the, kind of the story of our lives a lot of times. Now, here it is. Here it is. God wants him to go deal with this. But look at it. Memorize this, man. Like, get this in you. Every issue is not mine to fix. Every issue is not on my watch. Like, some of you try to fix stuff all the time. Every single scenario you get in, you're like a fixer. How many of you are naturally gifted by God fixers? Yeah. Like I am, it's a gift of God, but it can become a curse. It can become a curse. 
you, where you die on every issue, you try to fix everything. Now, in this case, God says, yes, go uh, attack the Philistines and save Keilah. This is so important, you guys, like in your teamwork at work. You know, you die on every single hill it, with kids. Like my son, Ryan, he's now, he's my youngest, he's 36, because I'm 50. Anyway, uh, <laughs> he's my youngest, and, and but when, he's, pr he's very put together now. Like he, his wife was a Hurley rep for Orange County, the most sought after rep position in the surfing industry world, and you know, Melanie's helped him, <laughs> whatever. He's super put together. Uh, he works in that kind of industry. But when he was a high schooler, he was a pig. Flat out. Just a mess. Not so much personally, like how he looked, but his bedroom, oh my goodness. His bedroom, entire ecological systems grew. <laughs> we lived right across the street in those days. Uh, lived in Portofino, there's 600 plus homes over there. And uh, we lived over there, and we, we always had a problem with mice. But if you ever wanted to set the mouse traps, set them in Ryan's room. <laughs> oh, you'd catch all the mice. He, you know, he'd take his, like, uh, lunch or whatever up to his room. You know, he'd eat part of it. Part of it would fall behind the bed, underneath the bed. Entire ecosystems lived under that bed. But we eventually, we just resolved it. Like, we chose, you know, like, okay, and we prayed about it and everything. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, like, we had to come to a decision. So we, we told them, okay, Ryan, once a week, you get a giant black trash bag, go in your room, throw everything in the trash bag. <laughs> once a week, do your laundry. But then all I want you to do every day is shut your it saved so much fighting, saved so many battles. It was awesome. You got to decide whose voice you're going to listen to in life. Whose voice is your primary voice? Like, what, who's the loudest voice in your life? David becomes this person who inquires of whom? The Lord. The Lord is not to minimize people, but it is to maximize the voice of God. And God speaks. God speaks. So what is, you know, like... How are you growing in your ability to discern the will of God, to hear the voice of God? This is super, super important in our world, and, and it's just vital to us. I have recommended this book before. It is called Whisper. It's by a friend of mine named Mark Batterson. He, this is the best book I've ever read on how to hear the voice of God. In the book, he talks about the seven love languages of God, the way in which God speaks. And it's incredible. In fact, uh, Steve and V, you're doing a, a life group on this book? Tuesday nights on campus? Yes, so there is actually a life group. Uh, they were talking earlier about life groups. So there's actually a life group that is using this on Tuesday nights. Uh, Luke and Teresa might be using it too, but whatever. I'm just saying this is a sick, good book. Uh, in the book, he talks about the Moken. You might... Write that down, Moken, M-O-K-E-N. It's, a, um, uh, it's a, a people group, an ethnic people group that lives on the water in the area around Thailand. And they live on the water their whole lives on boats. And they're people of the water. 
And I don't know if you remember, but in 2004, there was a 9.1 level uh, earthquake in the Indian Ocean. It caused uh, roughly 227,800 deaths. How many of you remember this event? Okay. Uh, And and it it created 100-foot-tall tsunamis that went across the Indian Ocean and hit all kinds of places and killed a bunch of people. The Moken lived there off the coast of Thailand. And, but they're people of the water. And they're people who look and listen. And so when the tsunami happened, the earthquake happened and the tsunamis began, it sucked all the water out to sea. And they watched. And uh, an amateur photographer from Thailand, a woman, was literally doing an interview during this time and after the fact. And the Mokan saw the water sucking out, and they heard all of the birds quit singing. They saw the elephants run for high ground. The, mo- the dolphins and whales were sending off signals. The, the Mokan that were close to the shore beached their bo- boats and ran for the high ground. The Mokan that were out to sea went farther out to sea. So 230,000 people roughly died. Not one Mokan died. And why didn't they die? Because they could hear and they could see. Get it? This is God's will for you. You're in a world at war. You're in a world full of tsunamis. They, they don't come generally expected, you know? Like, like it, it's not like you know a, a crisis is going to happen. I've done a lot of marriage counseling in my life. It is not, I mean, I've had a lot of marriage counseling, but I've also given <laughs> a lot of marriage counseling. But it's not like you plan crisis. It's like it happens to you in a weird way. But you have to listen. You have to learn to listen. This is what Mark's book is about. And he talks about the seven love languages of God. The first and foremost one is scripture. This is why I want you to bring your Bibles and, and underline them and write in them and take notes in them. Scripture is king. It trumps everything. It is the overarching thing in terms of discerning the will of God. Now, there's the general will of God and the specific will of God. But the general will of God is in the book. You just have to read the book. Like, Ought you be in a church as a Christ follower? That's not like a, hmm, I think I should pray about that. No. No, no, no. You don't have to pray about the direct, you know, given will of God. Like, should I, you know, commit to moral purity before I get married? I mean, I get that you pray about it. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's in the Bible. Why is it in the Bible? Because he knows that when I don't do that, I go off the rails. I run into the wall. I bloody my nose. I have a tsunami hit me. I die. That's the will of God. Like, like ought you be in a, uh, like a life group? But in Acts chapter 2, it says the whole church was organized in life groups. Why? Because you need life on life. Like I think Eddie was saying, this room is awesome, but a life group's like a small version of it. In a life group, you're going to know people and be known by them. You're going to love each other. You're going to naturally serve and learn. You're going to have wise people around you. You know, they're gaining wisdom. They're growing in wisdom. You're going to have doors open and closed. You're gonna, God's going to give you dreams. He's going to change the desires of your heart. He's going to, as a man of God, a woman of God, he's going to start to give you the desires of your heart, but they're his desires. You're going to see, you're going to feel promptings in your life. And the largest, the megaphone of the voice of God is the last word. 
And that is pain, ladies and gentlemen. And if you don't prepare to listen for the voice of God when you encounter pain, it will crush you. It'll crush you. Now, I want to go to a psalm of David's when he's running from Saul in the context of Keilah and the city of Ziph. Okay, it's literally in this context. Look in the Bible. Some of you are on uh, digital devices. You, don't, you do not have, generally speaking, the titles of the Psalms. I'm going to read the title of Psalm 54. It says, for the director of music with stringed instruments, and then it says a maskil, underline that word, a maskil of David. And then it says, it gives you the historic context. When the Ziphites had gone to Saul and said, is not David hiding among us? Okay? So a maskil, a maskil is a musical uh, written device, kind of like uh, little signs we have in scores of music. Uh, but a maskil is not just that, it's also a song or a poem or a writing for the purpose of helping and encouraging others. Okay, in, in your God story, like what's happening in your life is not just for you. It's for the Abiathars around you. It's for the people around you. Your God story, God's writing your God story every day, and every day he's trying to help you to have this God story in you so that you can share your God story. So David shares his God story. It's Psalm 54. It's in the context of 1 Samuel. So look at what it says. We'll just read a little. Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer. Oh God, listen to the words of my mouth. Why does he say that to God? Because he feels like God's not. How many of you have been there? Yeah, you've all been there. I've been there a million times. We'll be there for the rest of our lives. Uh, if you're writing notes, write this down. Declarations destroy my doubts, and they destroy the doubts of others. De declarations destroy doubts. David is making a declaration of faith in the context of pain. You're in a, this is the deal. The words of God, Scripture, which trumps everything, okay? Scripture is king. It's paramount. It's the word of God. The word of God has to get in my head, so i got to read it, memorize it, meditate on it. It's got to get to my heart. That's the 12-inch giant journey of faith. And then it has to come out of my mouth. When it starts to come out of my mouth, I start to change the world. When I get my words out of my mouth, it starts to infect and affect those around me. That's what David's doing. This psalm becomes very famous in Israelite history and, and Christian history. It becomes super powerful. Then he says, strangers are attacking me. Ruthless men seek my life. Men without regard for God. And then verse 4 is like uh, kind of like the centerpiece of the poem, the song, the prayer. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Go down to the last verse. For he has delivered me from all my troubles. Hang on. In this context, has God delivered David from all his troubles? No. <laughs> his world right now is hell on earth. What is he saying? Notice it's present tense, by the way. It's not will, it's has. Did you notice that when you read it? Always pay attention to the tenses. Pay attention to grammar. Uh, 
the Lord has delivered me from all my troubles. He's in the pain. So it's a declaration of faith. Do you get it? This is the will of God for you, that you start to live. Yes, you have the pain, but you get the purpose of the why. You get the why of the pain. This is key. C.S. Lewis wrote his classic work on this. Philip Yancey wrote his classic work on this. There's a man in our church named Ed Hodge. Ed has ALS. How many of you know what that is? If you don't, you can Google it. It's a debilitating, uh, it, there's no cure for it. It kills you, slowly, painfully. It's a horrible death. Now, Ed's a super godly guy. Now, he's in the last stages of ALS. Get it? He comes to church in a motorized wheelchair. He was here last night, sat over there. He's got two daughters and a wife. He wrote me this email this week. It's his maskil. It's his God story to you. He's a part of your church. So I want to read it to you. Hi, Pastor Mike. Uh, this evening as I struggled to stand, I wondered, why am I not depressed? I can't walk anymore. Why am I not devastated? Now, I know Ed, this is a dynamic in his life, okay? He struggles, of course, with depression and devastation, of course. He's normal, he's human. But look at, listen to what he says. The answer is Jesus and our great hope in him. I want to live this out. He's talking about ALS. I want to live this out for his glory. The church goes on after I'm gone. And if I live this well, then I can encourage the body, the church. Foremost, he has in parentheses Donna, his wife, and Emily and Sarah, they're his kids. I can encourage the church to a deeper love and faith in God, a deeper devotion. This gives me purpose and allows me to serve. Think about it. He has ALS. Apart from God's healing, he will die. A difficult death. This gives me purpose and allows me to serve. One day for all of us, our opportunity to serve Jesus in a hostile environment will end. Glad that day has not come yet. <laughs> I have joy and sadness every day. That is reality. Purpose and service keep my depression at bay. Listen to that. Purpose and service keep my and your and Ed's depression at bay. That is one of the secrets of life, ladies and gentlemen. Purpose, purpose and service, love does. Love isn't just words, it's action, it's sacrifice, and he gets this. This is what drives him. What empowers a man who's now in a wheelchair, can't walk, can't, you know, he has a suction tube on his chair to help him. His muscles are going in his uh, abdomen area, so he can't expand and contract his lungs. He, he can't breathe. This is how ALS people die. Purpose and service keep my depression at bay. Thank you for encouraging me and praying for me. You make it easier from me. I am honored to serve alongside of you. Boom. I'd, if I had a mic, I'd drop it. That's Ed. This is David. This is the psalm. 
this is the way it is, and, but you have to talk with God. You have to talk with God and actively listen to his response. God wants to talk to you. Who's the problem? We are. God's not the problem. I'm the problem. You're the problem, okay? And, and you got to be careful. Don't confuse your expectations with the plans of God. Ed has zero, and I've you know, known him a long time. He, had zero, he wanted to see his daughters get married. He wanted to see his daughters. He, he's not a grandpa. He, he wanted to be a grandpa. He's not going to be a grandpa. But, I mean, barring a miracle, and I keep praying, because my job is to pray for, in faith for a healing for Ed. I go visit him. I, visit, I pray for him. I anoint him with oil. I pray for faith. I pray for, well, I pray for faith, but I pray for healing. That's the will of God. I just, I'm, I am duty-bound to pray for the sick and have faith that God will heal them. That's what I do. That's what men and women of God do. And, but God's got his own dreams and plans of his for Ed. And God lives in a world, Ed lives in a world where there's Satan, Satan's warring against him and whatever. So it's, it's all like that. And it's in this story, you guys. Look at the story. Look at 1 Samuel 23. Look at verse 7. Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul the king was told that David had gone to Keilah. And he said, God has handed him over to me. For David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. And Saul called up all his forces for battle and to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And when David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he says to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod. David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard that Saul plans to come to Keilah and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Keilah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard, O Lord, and tell your servant? And the Lord said, yup. <laughs> yup. He's like, what? Again, David asked, right? Like, why does he ask again? Because he's like, what? <laughs> again, David asked, will the citizens of Keilah surrender me and my men to the Saul? And the Lord said, yup. <laughs> Look, you have to be careful of your expectations. Your expectations get us in trouble all the time, right? That's why asking instead of assuming brings clarity to what God is doing. It doesn't give you all the answers, but the contrast in the storyline is between David and Saul. One man inquires of the Lord, the other man doesn't. You know, who am I describing in your life? Are you a person who regularly, I'm talking daily, I'm talking moment by moment, practicing the presence of God, praying without ceasing, this describes you. You're walking in the ways of God, constantly wanting the will of God in your life. And you have to be careful of turning adversity with people. This is about your boss. You followed what you thought was the will of God, likely was, and your boss is a jerk. How many of you have ever been there? Raise your hand, you've ever been there. Yeah, if you haven't been there, you haven't worked much. <laughs> Uh, anyway, my staff says it about me all the time, but <laughs> whatever. But, but you have to be careful. Don't triangulate God. Remember, your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. This is what uh, David's doing in the story. He's humble. You know, and the Lord says, yep, that's what's going to happen. Uh-huh. And you have to remember something. God is always for you. Even when it doesn't look like it, particularly, this is why declarations of faith are so important in your life. You declare the promises of God in your life. You, you declare the blessings of God in your life. You declare, you live by the blessings. You live by the promises. You apply them. Now, it's complicated because you live in a world that's broken. 
but you constantly assert the promises, the will of God. And you have to know when to move on and let, your, let God deal with your kids. You have to learn how to move on. Now, you're always parenting them. I've taught you this. You never stop parenting till you're dead. And even then, you go to heaven. I don't know. We can discuss that. But whatever. <laughs> you're never done. I'm just saying a lot of times you have to let God fight the battles. You've got to cut it out. They're, your kids are a mess. They're like mine. Whatever. Get over it. Deal with it. Your workplace is a mess. Get over it. Deal with it. Whatever. You've got to let God be God. Look at what happens. Look in the verse. It says, uh, it says in verse 13, so David and his men, about 600 in number, left Keilah and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he did not go there. Why? Because of verse 14. This is your life. David stays in the wilderness, strongholds. How long, did he have to, how long do I have to stay in the wilderness, Pastor Mike? <laughs> I don't know. I get asked the question all the time. How long does it take a marriage to recover from an affair? Well, a long stinking time. <laughs> I'm just saying. I don't know how long it's going to take you to recover. I don't know how long it's going to take you to recover financially from getting laid off or whatever. Whatever the battle is, God does, and this much is sure. God did not give David into his hands. God does not want you to succumb to the enemy of your soul and, and live in this de kind of depressed, dark place. He wants to lift you out of it. Yes, it's a battle. It's a battle for Ed. It's a battle for you. It's a battle for me. So what noise drowns it out? I want you to answer that question. Not out loud. Don't answer it out loud. I, I just want you to know what, I want you to, I want you to think of the question, What's the thing that comes in your mind? What's the thing that keeps you off your knees? It could be anything. I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. What's it for you? What is it that competes for the voice of God in your life? What is it that's got your ears stopped? What is it that got, has, you know, your blindness going on? And how are you caught in expectations? Like, are you mad at God? Talk to him about it. Work it through. He'll work it through with you. David's often mad at God. Why does he say, God, will you listen to me? Why does he say that? Because he feels like he's not. Now he resolves it. I'm just saying. And then this. Where, what do you need to do to surrender and allow God to fight for you? What do you have to give up? Now, before we pray, I was personally inspired by an 11-year-old named Ruben Martinez. He lives in El Paso. He has made a statement of love in motion. He's a Christian kid. He's 11 years old. And this went viral globally. This is a picture of Ruben, and he's made this hashtag famous, hashtag El Paso challenge. So Ruben lives in the area of the Walmart. He lives in El Paso. So I, I, I just want you to think about the trauma of El Paso right now. Just get inside of it. Like, again, if you worked there, if you went there, everybody went to that, that Walmart for crying out loud, everybody. Okay, so they all know where it is. So you think of the collateral damage. You think of the people who work there, the kids, the families, whatever. Look at what an 11-year-old, he is prophesying to you. He says, Do tw now 22 people died. So he says, 
do 22 acts of kindness for those, honoring those 22 people who got murdered. This is, this is his maskil. This is amazing from a mouth of an 11-year-old. This is why we do kids' ministry, student ministry, to develop the Rubens. What are all the other people saying, right? This is, a, this is powerful. This is the gospel in action. This is you. We're doing these outreaches at the schools, you know, like uh, as on opening day of elementary school. We're doing outreaches at all the elementary schools in Terrasana. If you want to help, go out to the serve wall and sign up to do it. We're going to bring Starbucks coffee to the schools on opening day. You know why? Because all of the moms and dads of kindergartners and first graders are losing their mind on that day. I've done this outreach a bunch of times. And I stand at the gate. And when they're walking in, I say, and there's you know, tons of people that are just streaming by. So I say it about every six seconds. I say, hey, after you drop your kids off, if you go over to that table right over there, there's free Starbucks coffee. Every one of them goes like this. What? And it's like, oh my gosh, thank you. I mean, they practically like go crazy right then. And then they go over to the table afterwards and you just talk to them and love on them. It's awesome. So do that. I don't know. Do whatever. Do something. In the evil of your world, pivot. Learn to hear God and then pivot and get on mission. Get on purpose. Get on the way of Jesus. Okay? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm going to pray with us. Lord, I pray that you'll help us right now. What's in the way? What's stopping us from hearing your voice, God? What's in the way that's challenging us? Help us, Lord. Help us to learn to hear you. To learn to hear you in the crazy of our world, in the battles that we fight as a country, as individuals, as families, whatever. Help us. In fact, if you're new with us, we're going to pray together all out loud. I'm going to lead us in prayer. I'm just going to give words to express our hearts. So we're going to pray out loud together, okay? So pray this with me. Lord Jesus, unclog my ears. Help me to see. Help me to see the tsunamis and how to navigate them. Should I go to shore? Should I go out to sea? Give me wise people in my life who will help me navigate the oceans because they are a part of my life. Help me to learn to hear your voice, to walk with you, filled with your spirit, led by your spirit, with you at the helm, you steering the boat. <laughs> help me to let go and just be yours a part of your adventure. In Jesus' name, <laughs> amen. Give God a hand for what he's doing. <laughs>